0: fireside chat. We shared with you last night that we wanted to dive into the Great Reset. What is the Great Reset? Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've heard it's a conspiracy ther- theory. I-, I heard some months ago, actually kind of in the middle of the year last year, about the Great Reset. And I'm like, what's the Great Reset? I was clueless. And I just want to walk you through some of the things that I've discovered. Hopefully it's interesting to you. It's totally fascinating to me. I first heard about this Great Reset by a letter that was made known to the public from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vagano. And this was an open letter to President Trump. I read it. I had no other point of reference for the Great Reset. And I thought, I don't know about this. Seems a little bit conspiracy theory. You see, my roots are from Missouri, so I'm from the show-me state of Missouri. I want to know the facts about things. So I started exploring what the Great Reset is about, and then I realized it had gone public when Prime Minister Trudeau from Canada, in addressing the United Nations said this, and then a couple of things, just a montage of a couple of videos that come together because you see this great reset comes from the Economic, um, World Economic Forum, and they meet in Davos, Switzerland. So you're gonna see a little video here. Just look at this little montage. Building back better means getting support to the most vulnerable while maintaining our momentum on reaching the 2030 agenda for sustainable development and the SDGs. Canada is here to listen and to help. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts, to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change.
1: We have an incredible opportunity to create entirely new sustainable industries. Investing in nature as the true engine of our economy.
2: A great reset? That sounds more like buzzword bingo masking some nefarious plan for world domination. Hands up, this kind of slogan hasn't gone down well. But all we really want to say is that we all have an opportunity to build a better world. And it's not surprising that people who've been disenfranchised by a broken system and pushed even further by the pandemic will suspect global leaders of conspiracy. But the world's not that simple.
1: We need enormous trust between the private sector and the public sector for this to actually work. That trust is hard to come by.
0: <laughs> Even Davos, who, uh, where the meeting in Switzerland is for the World uh, Economic Forum, They said, hey, you might think that your global leaders are into a conspiracy or they're conspiring together about the new direction of the world. And this is a goal that is going to take us to 2030. So it's 2021. We have nine years to experience these leaders. This is a mixture of leaders that are from the super wealthy technology realm and business leaders and along with uh, some elitists in their philosophies that want to take us towards socialism. We realize that's the future of where everything seems to be going, but we want to know who's behind it, what are their thoughts, and how are we going to get there? Now, the guy that founded the World Economic Forum is a guy by the name of Klaus Schwab. He is a German engineer and economists, and he's got this vision for the world. And these super elite gather every year. They're in Davos, Switzerland, usually in January. It happened this week. That's why it's kind of on our radar. But they had to zoom in because of the pandemic. They were there in person. But these are the big, heavy hitters in the tech world, the super wealthy, the elites of the world that are coming together as a forum to help us and to save the world. Listen to Klaus Schwab.
1: The Fourth Industrial Revolution is a combination of technological breakthroughs which will completely change business models, uh, society, economies. Fourth Industrial Revolution is coming with enormous speed and will change not only what we are doing but who we are. The world will grow more together in the digital age. We are becoming more interdependent. We will have not less, we will have more globalization. But the question is, how do we master and how do we construct this new type of globalization? I call it globalization
2: 4.0.
1: It's a poison for society. Uh, We cannot leave people behind. We have to make every sure everything uh, to ensure social cohesion of a society because social cohesion is a prerequisite for a democratically functioning uh, country.
0: Where there's Klaus Schwab sharing with us. He is the author of the book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is technology ba- based. And then he just came out with his new book, The Great Reset, which this is his agenda along with these super elitists that are planning the future of America, as well as President or excuse me, Prime Minister Trudeau up in Canada. There are world leaders involved with this, Prince Charles over in Great Britain. And we might ask ourselves, well, what are their predictions for the next 10 years, 9 years? What are their predictions at 2030? What is life going to look like? Now, you and I who are older know that time flies by, a decade goes by really quick. So look at their eight predictions that are given here. This is what life's going to look like for you and I. Feels like a, uh, a chapter right out of um, 1984. Thank mm-hmm. you. So did you catch that? I know it was moving pretty fast. That's the beauty of live stream. You can re- re-watch it, you can rewind, check it out. But these are a handful of the things that really stood out in that you're going to own nothing, so personal property, because they want this uh, re-equalization uh, of Uh, financial distribution because of the inequality. Those who have, their resources will be redistributed through uh, socialism and you're going to own nothing and I love how they tell you and you're going to be happy about it. Isn't that cool? Hey, I own nothing and I'm going to be happy and if I want something, I'm just going to rent it and a drone is going to deliver it to my home. It doesn't shock us with modern technology and what's going on. It goes on to uh, tell us, that America is not going to be the world-dominant force. It's not going to be the superpower, because it's going to be a handful of countries that are joined together that are going to lead the world. They're going to be the global leader. And we're going to look at that really uh, a little closer about nations and uh, globalization of things from God's Word as we continue on in our program. It tells us that we're not going to, and I mean, I guess this is good news. I don't have to wait for an organ donor if I need a kidney or I need a liver because we're just going to 3D print them because of technology. They move right into diet as well. They say, we're not going to eat as much meat because, oh, on a special occasion you'll have a little meat because it's better for the environment and it's better for your health that we not eat very much meat. Well. I'm kind of a carnivore, I like eating meat, but you see, this new agenda is going to uh, tell me what I can have, what I can't have, and but I'm going to be happy about it. It's going to remove lots of my choices because it knows what's best for me, these Elites know what's best for me. Now, whenever they want meat, I'm sure they're going to have meat. And uh, I'm sure that they're not going to give up their resources to redistribute. But you see, that's the thing about socialism. There's always these elites. They maintain all of their status. They maintain all of their wealth. They maintain all of their protection. And they put us, uh, peasants, if you will, down into their realm. And they are just filled with joy that they can control us and tell us to be happy about it. That's what's coming to the world. It also tells us in this uh, eight predictions by 2030 that we're going to have to deal with a billion people being displaced by uh, climate change, global warming. And once again, this is a theory that is pushed by uh, people and, and we're still watching the science of it. Is it happening? How is it unfolding? But we need to now get rid of our borders because, you see, if there's going to be a billion people, think of that, a billion people, there's seven billion people on the planet now, we have to just open our borders. This is a part of the process with globalization as well. Um, There's going to be taxation on carbon emissions. So if you are a company and you have emissions, you'll just be taxed on that so severely to the point that finally fossil fuels will be history because nobody will be able to afford that kind of taxation. But they roll right into number seven, which is fascinating to me because we're going to go to Mars, but they've just gotten rid of fossil fuel. So how are you going to have a rocket that blasts off? I'm sure a solar panel is not going to blast off a rocket ship and take you into Mars, but you know, these, these people, they, they have the plan. because hey, we have to be looking for alien life. Now those who say we're crazy because we believe in a creator who has designed the heavens and the earth and we're created in his image, but it's all right for them to look for alien life and it's scientific, it's rational, it's logical. Well, I'm not saying uh, that uh, you can't go exploring around the stars and kicking up some moon dust as we have in the past, but... Being able to get people to Mars is a pretty tall order, even in the next decade, because they're going to figure out how to keep us healthy up there. And then Western values are going to be tested to the breaking point, and that's what we see. It is the overturning of Western civilization. That's what the big picture is here. Into a post-modern era, very much like already in Europe, but it's the... It's the death knell. It's the finishing touches to get rid of Western civilization that was based upon a Judeo-Christian ethic and also the reason and philosophy of Aristotle and Athenians so that there's reason-based evidence. There's absolute truths. They want to move into a realm in which there are no absolute truths or those different things. So that's just what's coming to us. You know what's coming to us? in this bizarre and crazy and, I mean, honestly startling level of technology. I mean, mean, it's really breathtaking what can happen, what what the the brilliance of mankind is creating. I love technology. I think it's it's great. Daniel told us that this is going to happen in Daniel chapter 12, or I should say the Lord told Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, It says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and technology shall increase. He told Daniel, Daniel, I got some stuff I'm going to lock up and we're going to unfold it, which that's what we're doing now. And because it's. It's for the time of the end. Now we understand those things. Knowledge is running it to and fro. It, it's increasing with an exponential rate, so much so that now the tech giants with all of our social media, they have us... Z- zeroed in on our personality, our inclinations, how much we're on our phone, how much we use this app, and uh, what our shopping preferences are. If you haven't seen the 2020 movie Social Dilemma, it will give you an eye-popping observation of how fine-tuned they are into your life and my life just from having a smartphone and the way that we use it. Because you see, what's going to take place is we are gonna move from democracy to a technocracy. A technocracy is big technology, like we saw the influence in the last presidential election, and how they censored whoever they did not agree with politically so that they could control the narrative. So you're gonna have big tech mixed with political leaders and big business. This is gonna be the, the trifecta of what the future is. So we're going to move from what we know today as democracy to technocracy. And, uh, and you think, well, you know, what's that look like? Honestly, what's it look like? I came across an NBC story about China. You see, China's ahead of the game as far as a technocracy, uh, communism mixed with technocracy to con- control the populace and to evaluate everything they do. In this eight minute video, I, I wanted to give you just some brief clips, but I apologize. I could not turn the thing off. It's eight minutes of eye popping reality about a nation that is 1.3 billion people. And for that 1.3 billion people, China, the surveillance state, they have 200 million. Surveillance cameras, that is one camera for every seven people in their population. It's doing facial recognition and it observes everything that you do. If you jaywalk, if you uh, order, if you drink too much, if you play too many video games, absolutely everything is surveilled. And now, just like you and I have a credit score and you can run your credit score, they have a social credit score. And if your social credit score is low, then you can't get on this airplane or you can't put your child in that school. Or if it's high, it gives you more freedom to do things. It's being controlled by behavior, not only through technology and their surveillance of cameras, But they interview in this story a woman that she has a quota of 10 people that she needs to spy on in her neighborhood and and turn in um, basically a report about their behavior. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Check this out.
2: So, picture your life in a place where everything you do, what you buy, how you behave, is tracked. The government gives you a score. And the score is a measure of how trustworthy you are as a citizen and determines what you're allowed to do, like ever. Boarding a train, getting a mortgage, all goes back to this score. It's called social credit. It sounds like that show Black Mirror, but it's actually happening in China. So how does that change you? Does it change you? What does your life look like when your every move is watched? The system's eyes are in big data, artificial intelligence, and roughly 200 million surveillance cameras. And that's totally fine with Ouyang Haoyu. She's 21, graduated from a good school with solid grades. She's diligent, she's nice. No surprise, she's a 752. That's her rating with Sesame Credit, a private company working with the government on the algorithms for the social credit system. The scores go from 350 to 950 and are based on habits and behavior. Buy clothes or diapers, it's good. A lot of alcohol, too many video games, not so good. How use 752 puts her in model citizen range and gets her discounts and privileges, like using a shared bike without a deposit. She likes it. Her friends do too. They all have pretty high scores. It's a mechanism like uh, pushes you to become a better citizen to build to build on the trust, especially on the
1: Chinese
0: market.
2: Because you're you're not you're not going to be punished if you haven't done anything wrong.
0: I think that's the point. I think the system is working as a as
1: an
2: as a warning or a alert to like to push people to do it yeah. to, to to be a good person. And it's mandatory when it goes national. Social credit scores will be assigned to every one of China's citizens for life. And what's weird is that so many people seem okay with it. It's complicated, but China went from extreme poverty to economic giant pretty quickly. A credit history system didn't grow at the same pace. So people would default on loans and get away with it. Add in scandals around fake food, tainted baby milk, counterfeit goods. And what you've got is a big problem with trust. So. In 2014, the Communist Party called for a system to allow the trustworthy to roam everywhere under heaven, while making it hard for the discredited to take a single step. The model is a place called Rongcheng. It's in Shandong province. It's orderly, streets are spotless, cars slow down, which is unheard of in China. Words like honesty and credibility appear on propaganda posters. Display cases show pictures of Rongchong's most honored citizens. You start with a thousand points, and you can print out your report anytime. You lose points for things like jaywalking, littering, tossing cigarette butts, or spreading rumors. Cameras do a lot of the surveillance work, but it's pretty analog too like posters that list the ways you can gain or lose points. And each night, local TV shows the surveillance highlights of the day. And then there's Joe Aini. She's an information collector. A paid enforcer who walks around and writes down deeds about her neighbors. Like the man who carried a drunk person home. Things like this are good deeds, she said. But the farmer overheard swearing and being rude. Yeah, bad deeds. Her quota is 10 a month. She likes the work, thinks the city's better for it. The thing about the social credit system is that there isn't one single system. Not yet. Different places have different rules. So what do you do if you have bad social credit? Well, for one, you talk about it on Weibo, which is like Twitter. There are forums for discredited people to vent and get advice. In Chongqing, we hooked up with Huang Weijun. He had a business until he was sued by a client, and Huang refused to pay 90 grand to settle it. So the court put him on a social credit blacklist, and things got way worse. He explains that being blacklisted means he can't buy airplane or train tickets. When he tries, a message pops up saying he's discredited. By the end of last year, blacklisted people were blocked from booking 23 million flights and five million high-speed train trips. And the list goes on. Being discredited makes it hard to get a job, a loan, a hotel room, or put kids in certain schools. Then there's the public shaming, photo galleries of blacklisted citizens. There's even an app that shows who around you is in debt. In China, being monitored is nothing new, but algorithmic surveillance makes it possible to collect data to build detailed profiles of people, especially the ones not loyal to the government. Of all the video surveillance cameras on the planet right now, nearly half of them are in China. Are people bothered by privacy concerns? So we think a uh, lot of cameras keep the safety. is uh, really good, really good things. A lot of people, we can accept it. And cameras are getting smarter. So the information that comes out from my image identifies that I'm female, middle-aged, uh, talks about whether I'm wearing glasses, the shape of my face. AI is taking them next level. They can do more than just see, they actually understand who they're seeing. <laughs> so, at what point can the technology know too much? Does it already?
0: Most times, people don't care about it. But uh,
2: if the technology learns too much, for example, cross the right line, It's not very good. How far off are we from needing to draw those red lines? It's very hard to say. I think uh, maybe decades, decades, I mean 10 years or 20 years, 15 years, maybe, maybe. That's not very long. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And where does it all go? How you isn't so bothered, her Sesame score is high, life is good and she's used to living most of it online. Soon, her education and medical records and any run-ins with the law will factor into her social credit score. And wherever she goes, someone will follow and ask, who can you trust?
0: Excuse me for a moment while I find out who's in debt around me from my uh, phone app right here. <laughs> Can you imagine? Just in a room full of people, I know who's in debt, who's discredited, who's not. And you think, well, that's China. Well, it's technocracy is what it is. It's a surveillance state of technocracy, and that's where the world is going. And, but in order for that to happen, to have globalization... You have to remove people that say such things like, make America great again. You have to remove people that uh, have a desire for patriotism, nationalism. And it's strange that those who are globalists, if, if you are excited about being an America, American and you believe in American exceptionalism, well, you're a white supremacist. How do you make that leap in such an irrational, bizarre thinking? And Great Britain also in that thing with uh, Brexit and what they're going through, all of that. But you have to remove these, these superpowers that assert themselves to watch out for their citizens and you have to reduce them in this globalization world. So that's where I want to back up for a moment and just talk about God's plan for the nations. Not only that we see in history, but we see in prophecy. Because the Lord declares in Isaiah that he sees the end of a matter from the beginning. It's this incredible thing that only scripture has about declaring the future of prophetic things. And so, you know, there was a time where humanity, back in Genesis chapter 11... They wanted to have a globalization, if you will. They wanted to be in one place so that they could be Godlike. It appears that there's a real challenge to uh, who the Lord is and, and their own uh, arrogance of what who they thought they were. It tells us in Genesis 11:4, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord had already told them to be fruitful and multiply and to scatter out, to establish these realms. tells us in verse 8 and 9 of Genesis 11. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Why did the Lord scatter them all over the face of the earth? Well, we'll get to that in a moment, but realize this, that as He scattered them through confusing their languages, imagine people working together on a huge project, everybody speaks the same language, and the Lord changes their languages so that they have to now begin to segregate into groups of language so they can have communication and understanding so that they would accomplish what he wanted them to. And that was to be fruitful and multiply on the face of the earth and to establish um, nations that uh, have diversity. And we'll look at that a little bit more. But think of this. In the book of Daniel... King Nebuchadnezzar goes to sleep and he has an incredible dream about this statue. And I'm not sure, this is an artistic rendering of what he dreamt, but you see it's a head of gold that represented Babylon, and then there's the breast and arms of silver that represented the era of the Medes and the Persians, then there's the belly and thighs of brass that represented Greece and Alexander the Great's regime. And then there's the legs of iron that represented the era of Rome. And then there's a last kingdom, there's a fifth kingdom that has feet of iron and clay with 10 toes. So that America diminishing as a world power in the next 10 years, anyway, according to the global resets plan and anybody that would assert itself and just say, hey, we want to be a nation. We don't want to have open borders. We want to govern ourselves. The Lord has created the sovereignty of nations, but that is going to change in the last days. These ten ten, uh, toes are a group of nations that lead in the last days. Now, this is what it said that represented the picture we just looked at. In Daniel chapter 2, Verse 38 through 41, it says, You are this head of gold. Speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel's telling him, Babylon is the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, and a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Now, as far as world history goes, we know in biblical history what nation follows the next. In verse uh, 40, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, that was Rome, whereas you saw the feet uh, and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. So... This is what we observed. We observed all four eras, exactly what God said was going to happen through this dream. There was the Babylonians, there were the Medes and the Persians, there were the Greeks, and there were the Romans, and there is a future kingdom that is ten nations that are loosely affiliated in Europe that are going to come together, and they're going to take us into that technocracy season of life. When we think about the sovereignty of nations, look what the Lord says through Paul the Apostle who's declaring the gospel in Athens. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27, it says, He has made, speaking of the Lord, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Did you notice that? that he made all of us from one blood and has determined their pre-appointed times, that's when they were formed as a nation, and the boundaries of their dwellings. As the boundaries shift and morph through the years, the Lord's involved in the sovereignty of nations. Verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God's plan for the sovereignty of nation is actually to reach human hearts and individuals. Because God's heart, even though a nation is made up of many people, he's interested in people finding him and discovering him. And through the uh, diversity and the uh, delegation, if you will, of powers from around the earth for the different nations, God has a plan to make all these things happen. And you think, well, I don't know about all this. I don't know about this great reset. I just want you to know it's right on course for what the future looks like, prophetically speaking, that people ask us, when we look at eschatology, the study of end times, where's America in the scriptures? Well, you don't find it. So something is going on, and we see through the Great Reset what their plan is, and that is that America and the leadership of America, because though President Trump really believed in the sovereignty of a nation, and he was patriotic to make America great again, President Biden and previous to him, who he was vice president with, President Obama, they uh, are really down on uh, the exceptionalism of America. Uh, President Obama went around on what we call the apology tour, going around and apologizing for... Uh, being Americans, basically, in what has happened through the world. And now Biden's back in office. And for him, it's all about globalization. We know with his ties with China. And, and this is just a... It's a worldview. It's a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. And that's his worldview. It's Klaus Schwab's wor- worldview. It's Bill Gates' worldview. It's those who are the elites that are involved with the World Economic Forum. It's their worldview that we would have this globalization instead of sovereign individual nations uh, really looking out for the interests of their own cities, more open borders as that unfolds. Well, in the last days, the Bible tells us that these individuals, these ten nations, because we see the picture back in Daniel chapter 2, and we fast forward to the end of the Bible to the book of Revelation, And there's a world leader, he's going to be a political leader, and he's going to be uh, overseeing, he's going to be be leading or heading up a ten-nation coalition through the last days during the Great Tribulation. And his power is going to be uh, enormous for a -a three-and-a-half-year period or 42-month period of time, as it declares to us. In Revelation chapter 13, it describes him as a beast it says in verse 1 of chapter 13, Then I saw, stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. These ten crowns represent the ten nations that we saw the ten toes that are iron mixed with clay in Daniel chapter 2. There's very new, very little new in the book of Revelation. We can find those passages that connect the dots through the rest of Scripture. And so we know that this beast, he's going to rise out of the sea, which is a picture of rising out of the nations. And as he comes on the scene, he's going to oversee ten nations. It's very, I mean, though it seems so... Um, metaphorical, it seems so symbolic, if you just boil it down and distill it down into everyday language hey, he's just a world leader over ten nations and this world leader over ten nations says in verse 7, it was granted to him in this time, in the future it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority was given him over every tribe tongue and nation So there's going to be a world leader, a global leader, according to uh, the scriptures and prophecies. So even though we might speak out against it, even though we might declare where it's happening, it's really great to understand where it's all going. You see, the Lord told Daniel that uh, these things are to be unlocked, if you will. They're a secret in Daniel's time, but now they're unlocked in these last days. We see exactly what is on the horizon for the world and this world leader is going to be in charge, it says, of every tribe, tongue, and nation, with a coalition of 10 nations altogether. That being said, you can't oversee everything and have a globalized situation, not only geopolitically, you know, covering geography, covering politics, but you also need it economically. So that's putting all the pieces together. What the World Economic Forum is declaring they want to accomplish is exactly what the Bible said was going to happen a couple of thousand years ago. So, isn't it great to know that we got the inside track on what's coming to the world? doesn't mean we can't pray and get involved in in, in every aspect of our, our nation and politically and in the public square and preaching the gospel we still need to be salt and light all the way to the end of the story of the scriptures but look at this it tells us in verse 16 through 18 of Revelation chapter 13 he causes all now, There's a transition, and for the sake of our time together, I skipped over it, but you see, the political leader has a right-hand man, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. It takes some wisdom, you guys. Tune in. Maybe you're zoning out. Tune in. Get some wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, don't be thinking that people are going to go around with a number of 666 on their right hand or their forehead. The number of man in the scriptures is he was created on the sixth sixth day. And um, so that's the number of man. But how do we... Do, how do we move into a technocracy? Is it not ones and zeros? Is it not this incredible uh, machinery we know in the future of computerization and technology and surveillance and artificial intelligence working all of that together in a cocktail of truly revolutionary proportions in the last days of human history? Now, for some, that kind of freaks them out. As a matter of fact, it said that he was going to be given power to overcome the saints. Those who are Gentile believers during the Great Tribulation of seven years and those who are Jews during that Great Tribulation period of time. It's not just fantasy and biblical fiction. Everything that the Lord has declared to ever take place prophetically, it unfolds according to his timing. And it's pretty mind-blowing how accurate it is. It's, it's like blows your mind, and that's what's coming in the future. You see, right now, I have my credit card and it's got its chip in it. Uh, I have my debit card, it has a chip in it. However, the the, the future inter- information, just like we see in China with the social credit, there's a time all your health information will be on there, all of your credit score, all of your finances. Um, if you can get a plane ticket, if you can't get a plane ticket, if you're disc- you lose credit or you gain credit, all of that is a part of the future, and it's all going to be conveyed with this surveillance state. I mean, I, I won't have this anywhere. If I have this with me anywhere, everybody knows where I'm at, right? I got the GPS. It's tracking me. But what I have to get to in the next 10 years, or maybe it's the next 20 years, is I have to get to the place that actually the information I I'm not going to lose my phone. The battery's not going to die. I'm going to have actually scannable information through technology in my hand or in my forehead. And I'm sure it's not going to be some big, ugly mark. I'm sure it's going to be invisible, under the skin, infrared, whatever. It's not going to be a big barcode on your forehead. That's you. <laughs> and I think that sometimes when, when Christians put forth clear biblical teaching that the Bible has taught for 2,000 years, and you see it all unfolding, there is a desire to say, you know what? They've lost their minds. Have we? If Daniel saw that Babylon, then the Medes and the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans were going to be in charge of the world in the hundreds of years that follows, that's exactly what happened. And now he says, in these last days, there's going to be a world leader that oversees or leads a coalition of 10 nations, and he's going to make it's a globalized world in its power, but it's also an economic globalization, one currency, a cashless society that we can only achieve in the modern era in which we live. They could have never fathomed what this was re- really entailed back in that day, 2,000 years ago, but we can. We can clearly see it. But I have some great news for you. I have some great news for you, that in Daniel's vision, at the end of this uh, vision that goes through the the kingdoms of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and then this last kingdom of this ten-nation federation overseen by this leader that the Bible calls here in chapter 13 of Revelation, the beast, it says that there's another kingdom coming, and it's the Lord's kingdom. Look at it in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 through 45. It says Jesus is going to come back during that time. It says, In, those, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone which was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, bronze, clay, silver, gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure." The cool thing is God sets up his kingdom at the end of all of this. It's a beautiful thing. All, like, like in school, all the answers are at the back of the book. And at the back of the book, we win as God's people. There's several ways to win, right? If God calls me home and I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to escape whatever future stuff that is coming to planet Earth. Or there is a rapture that the Bible says, that we shall not all sleep, but in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be caught up together to be with the Lord, the rapture. Or if you go into a great crisis like you see here that is described at the end of the the world, and even if we have to give our life for our walk with Jesus, it could be kind of hairy and scary in the coming years. But the Lord will give us the courage and the grace to face whatever we need to as we continue to live for Him and love Him And be who God wants us to be as believers in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The one that gave his life for us and rose from the dead. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. No matter what you face, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what I'm going through, the Lord says, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And if I am for you, who can be against you? God's with you. And so, hey, the great reset's coming, but so is our great king. We, we're filled with hope. I'm not. There's no doom and gloom. This is the reality of prophecy. It's the reality of where our world's going. But Jesus is still Lord and the King of our hearts and our lives. I want to send you out with a blessing. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless. See you the next time.